Let's pray together. Father God, we, we come today with our praises, with our hallelujahs, with our worship to acknowledge you as our God. You are the one true God, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. And we lift up the name of Jesus today. For we know that there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts now to receive what you want to teach us from your word today. Thank you for your word. Help us be teachable and to apply in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with the news of issue one passing, uh, it has been a disappointing week. It was opposed by nearly 60% of voters here in Wayne County, but as often happens, the urban centers like Columbus and Cincinnati proved too much. A friend of mine posted this verse on Facebook, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness. When it comes to the issue of abortion and protecting the innocent life of the unborn, this is where we're at in the state of Ohio right now. Abortion without limits from conception all the way up to birth will now be possible and a part of our state's constitution. How did we get here? Well, we could point out uh, many things or point to many things, but I I think we're reaping what was sown over 160 years ago with Darwin's origin of species, when the theory of evolution began to undermine the concept of creation. Eventually, even Christians began to question the truth of Genesis chapters 1 through 11, and with it, biblical creation and the truthfulness of the Bible. Think about it. If human beings are not God's special, unique creation, created in his very own image, then the value of human life evaporates. You know, some of the basic pillars of a biblical worldview are the existence of God, the fact of creation, and that human beings are created in God's image. Without these foundational truths, everything is up for grabs, including the lives of the unborn. And so we continue to have our work cut out for us. But even in the midst of this, I want you to know today that there's still hope. Last Sunday, we started a new series called Hopeful, and we said we can be hopeful because God is faithful. I want us to say that together from the screen. We can be hopeful because God is faithful. We need to hear that today. We have every reason to be hopeful because of who God is, what he has done, and what he is yet to do. You see, when we look beyond what is happening around us and we look to the God above us, it will fill us with hope. 
So that's what we want to do again today as we continue this series. And that means we must turn to God's Word. And so would you please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians is a short book toward the end of the Bible in the New Testament, right after the book of Colossians, if you can find that. If you do not have a copy of the Bible, there should be a hard copy close by on one of the chair racks in front of you. You can take that Bible home as our church's gift to you today. You can also use the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or tablet if you have that with you. I want us to jump right in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse number 13. Here's what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, that's us in the church, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death. He's talking about Christians who have died here. Christians who have died. And he's talking about this so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what? Who have no hope. So Paul here is, is kind of painting a picture of a problem that's going on here in the church in the city of Thessalonica, and it has to do with grief. I mean, it's perfectly normal and good to grieve over loved ones who have died. There's nothing wrong with that. But these Christians were grieving with a sense of hopelessness because they were uninformed about what was going to happen to their Christian loved ones who had passed away. What was going to happen to them at the second coming of Jesus? Would they be at some sort of disadvantage compared to those who would still be alive at his coming? What was going to happen to Christians who had gone on before? And so Paul begins to answer that question starting in verse 14. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And to be sure, it's, it's not a coincidence that the first thing Paul mentions here in the answer to these questions that the church had, he starts with the death and resurrection of Jesus. He affirms it. This is what we believe. This is what we trust and put our hope in, that Jesus died on the cross and three days later he rose from the dead. This is the, the core of what Christianity is about, right? If you've come here today and you're wondering, man, what is Christianity about? It's about this, Jesus died and rose again. We call this the gospel. And that word gospel literally means good news. Good news. And the good news is Jesus died and rose again. But why is this good news? Well, if you skip down to the end of this section in chapter five, verse nine, it says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive what? Salvation. Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? He died for us. He died for us so that whether we are awake, physically alive, or asleep, physically dead, it doesn't matter, we may live together with him. You see, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, that's what we deserved. Because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus took the wrath for us on the cross. That's what the cross is about. And through his sacrifice, 
We can be forgiven. We can receive salvation from our sins through what Jesus did for us. And because of that, we can have the hope of heaven. We can have the hope of heaven and we can live together with our our loved ones, those Christians who have gone before us. We can live together forever with them and with him. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's the parentheses around this section regarding the second coming of Jesus. Because if Jesus just died and did not rise from the dead, then we would be without this hope. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So everything hinges, right, on the death and resurrection of Jesus. We believe it happened. There's good evidence for it. And because Jesus' death and resurrection happened, we can also believe that something else is going to happen. This is where Paul picks up in the middle of verse 14. He's going to share three hopeful words, three hopeful ideas because of the gospel, because the gospel is true. And so Paul continues, because of the gospel, middle of verse 14, we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Here's here's the first hopeful word I want you to write down. Number one on your outline, it's the word return. Return. Paul here is starting to talk about the return of Christ. He says when Jesus comes back, he will bring with him those who have died in him. Those who have received salvation through his death and resurrection as we just talked about. Their souls or spirits that are with Jesus right now will come with Jesus at his second coming. Right, you got the picture? He continues in verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul is saying here, there's no advantage for those who are still alive. They will not go before those who have died. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Man, I hope you will take some time this week just to kind of meditate on on, on this passage. Can you imagine the scene that's being described here? You talk about incredible. It's going to be like what the apostles saw in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended back to heaven, right? And as a cloud hid him from their sight, two angels said this to the apostles. The angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. See, just as Jesus ascended into the clouds, at his second coming, he is going to descend in the clouds. It will be visible. Every eye will see him. It will be unmistakable. Let me give you three other descriptors of Jesus' return that are found here in the text. 
The first one is, it's going to be majestic. Majestic. It says he'll come with a loud command. Perhaps he'll shout, ready or not, here I come. It says there will be the voice of the archangel or chief angel. These angels are at the top of the angelic hierarchy, right? But the Bible only attributes the rank of archangel to one angel, and that angel is Michael. So this might be, probably, maybe, this might be the voice of Michael, the archangel, who we know from Scripture has spoken to Satan before. And so when Satan hears his voice at Jesus' return, man, he's going to know that his final end has come. And then there will be the trumpet call of God. It's interesting, back in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 10, trumpets were made from the silver that was given as the redemption price for the firstborn. When Jesus returns, perhaps it will be those same trumpets giving the sweet sound of redemption one last time. And you know what? When the trumpet toots, we're going to scoot. It's going to happen. Jesus' return will be majestic, but it will also be triumphant. The word translated with a loud command is a military commander's authoritative cry to direct his troops. See, when Jesus came the first time, how did he come? He came as a suffering servant, right? But when he comes a second time, when he returns, he will come as a victorious conqueror. Revelation 19 describes the scene. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. It goes on to say, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His coming will be majestic, triumphant, and then it will also be personal. Again, look, look at verse 16. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. You see, Jesus isn't going to send Abraham, Moses, or Elijah. He, he isn't going to send John the Baptist, Peter, or Paul. He isn't going to send St. Augustine, Martin Luther, or even Billy Graham. No, Jesus is coming personally for you and me. Look at what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 2. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is personally. And his return, that Jesus is coming back, man, that should fill us with hope. We can be hopeful. But not only that, there's a second word I want you to write down, number two, and that's the word resurrection. The end of verse 16 says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There is going to be a resurrection of the dead. The bodiless souls or spirits that come with Jesus in his entourage 
are going to receive a new resurrected body. Paul writes about this elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die, but we will all be what? We're all going to be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound in what? The dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Both the dead and the living will be changed, and both will receive new bodies. Now, exactly how these new bodies are formed is not explained. However, we should not picture the resurrection in terms of bodies bursting up out of the ground, zombie-like in graveyards, okay? A better picture is to see the resurrection of the body as a way to describe what will basically be an act of new creation. God is going to do an act of new creation. God is going to use our original body as a general model to preserve our identity, but it will be a new, changed body. In fact, it'll be like the one Jesus has. Remember what we read in 1 John 3, 2? It says, we shall be like him. We shall be like Jesus. Jesus was the first, right, to be resurrected from the dead. His resurrection is a model of what our resurrection is going to be like. Our bodies will be like his resurrected body, recognizable yet new. Now, a question I get asked periodically is, what about those who have been cremated? My answer is, well, for God, that's no problem since he created the universe out of nothing, right? Plus, when you think about it, most of the people who have died throughout history, cremated or not, have returned to dust anyway. So cremation is not a problem for God. Uh, Corey Witsit, our youth minister, has already, already decided that he is going to get cremated. He says that's his only chance for a smoking hot body. <laughs> Corey, Corey. But seriously now, why does there need to be a resurrection? Why does there need to be a resurrection? Why, why is it even necessary? Well, we, we could talk about many reasons, but the main reason is this. To defeat our last enemy, which is death. Look at the, these verses. Speaking of Jesus, the apostle Paul writes, for he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is what? It's death. See, when the casket closes and it's lowered into the ground and when the dirt is thrown over it, that is our enemy, death. Swallowing up and devouring a part of our very selves. But friends, that's not the end of the story, right? You see, the resurrection is not only Christ's victory, it is our victory as well. And it's our victory over death. 
Paul concludes 1 Corinthians 15 this way. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, referring to our new resurrected bodies, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, he gives us the what? He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Resurrection. And this victory over death. Man, it should fill us with hope, right? We can be hopeful. But there's one more final hopeful word because of the gospel here in our text, and that is the word reunion. Back in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, it says, after that, after the resurrection of those in Christ, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. In other words, we will be reunited with our Christian loved ones. There will be a reunion in the air with the Lord. Wow. Buckle your seatbelts, folks, and get ready for the ride of your life. This is where the idea of the rapture comes from. Have you heard of the rapture, this idea of rapture? It's right here in our text. Although the word rapture is not in the Bible, the idea of it is. To be raptured or caught up, as the text says, is to be literally picked up and carried off. You know, um, certain birds like hawks and eagles are called raptors, right? What do they do? They, They seize or pick up prey in their talons and they carry them off. Now, here's a question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But who comes and picks us up and carries us off from the earth into the sky? Who does that? I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think. Who is it that comes and picks us up and carries us off the earth into the sky? Who is it? Any ideas? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible actually gives us the answer, okay? It's Matthew 24, verse 31. It says, and he, Jesus, will send who? His angels. With a loud trumpet call. There's that mention of the trumpet again. And they will gather his elect Christians from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So, now you know. The angels are the raptors, quote unquote, and we are the raptees. After the resurrection of the dead, everyone is going to be standing on the earth. And so the angels are sent down to to pick us up and to carry us off to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Again, imagine the scene. Think of it. For the Christian, there's no reason to grieve without hope. We have three hopeful words because of the gospel. Number one is return. Jesus is coming back. Number two, resurrection. Our Christian loved ones will be raised to life, and they'll rise first. They will be at no disadvantage whatsoever. And three, reunion. 
We will be reunited, spending eternity together with the Lord forever. And because of this, we can be filled with hope. The gospel is still true. But I want you to notice the takeaway that Paul gives in verse number 18. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I think a better translation in this context is in the King James Version, comfort one another. Comfort one another. How? With these words. God's word. You might want to remember the three words on your outline today because we can comfort one another with these words. And you know, that this is what our grief share ministry is really all about. Some of you may have lost a loved one and maybe you've gone through grief share, whether it's been here at OCC or somewhere else, I'd highly recommend it. I believe grief share is one of the best things we do here at OCC. We have a great team that leads it. And just this week, we hosted a gathering called Surviving the Holidays, and we had 10 people come, which is fantastic. And I know they were comforted. I know because I talked to a couple of them. They were comforted with the words from our text. They they were comforted with the gospel. They, They were comforted with the hope of resurrection and reunion. And because of that, even though we do grieve, we do grieve, don't we? But we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This weekend, as you probably know, is Veterans Day weekend. And I know if you are a veteran out there, um, you you didn't serve for the recognition. But... I'm going to ask if you would be so kind, and if you're not comfortable doing it, that's fine, no worries. But if you're a military veteran, would you please stand? We, we want to just see who you are. We want to show our appreciation. Would you stand if you're a veteran today? Very good. Awesome. Let's show our appreciation. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. But you know, as, as I think about Veterans Day and those that have served, there are many who never came home. And, and some of you are grieving today because of that. We need to comfort one another. You know, according to a news article from May of last year, More than 63 million abortions have taken place in the United States since the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling. 63 million unborn babies never got a chance to live outside the womb. The womb where God was specially and uniquely knitting their lives together. And the only solace I find is that these unborn human lives will one day be raised to life. Newly created. Their untimely death will be swallowed up in victory. And they will be with the Lord forever. 
Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But also encourage and build up each other. That's how this section ends in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And we need this so much, especially in the world in which we live today. We need to encourage and build each other up so that we can stay alert and be ready for the imminent return of Christ. We need to encourage and build up each other so we can continue to live in the light and resist the darkness, putting on the full armor of God as we talked about last Sunday. We need to encourage and build up each other so we can be reminded of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose again and that he's coming back to take us to be with him forever. Man, one of the reasons we gather each and every week is so we can do this, so we can comfort one another, so that we can encourage and build up each other. And as we do that, we can be filled with hope, hope for another week. See, we can be hopeful because God is faithful and the gospel is still true. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for the hope that we have in you and in the gospel that Jesus, your son, died and rose again. But not only that, he's coming back. Thank you for this teaching in your word that helps us to understand what's going to happen on that day. God, I'm grateful for that reunion that's going to take place in the sky with you and all the saints that have gone before. Father, what a hope, what a blessed hope we have. And Father, I pray, I pray for that person today, maybe here in our audience, maybe joining us online that has never accepted Jesus Christ, has never accepted the gospel message into their lives. They've never trusted him as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that they would turn to you today that they would stop trusting in their own ability, their own obedience to be right with you, but they would trust in the perfect obedience of your son and in his sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice made on our behalf. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you are. We continue our worship now as we take our next step toward Jesus, your son, and we do it in his name. Amen.